Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I want to um, go a different direction tonight than I did this morning. Tonight I want to talk to you about uh, being a spiritual house. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And um, I, I sense that we are in, as for my part especially, a, a season of teaching uh, to lay a foundation and to move us into some things. Um, now, of course, Pastor Steele... Uh, he is um, apt to teach, but very often gets over into the preaching, which is a combination of preaching and teaching. And so uh, uh, we're just going to follow the flow of the Spirit of God and let Him instruct us tonight. So First Peter chapter 2 and... Um, Verse 5, 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, as lively stones, also uh, interpreted living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are, a, a li- we are individually living stones. And often when we um, discuss Jesus, we are discussing to help people. We are teaching from the standpoint of helping people identify Him as their individual Savior, their individual Lord, their individual um, Redeemer. And, And we're dealing with things that affect us individually. But one of the examples I like to give on this concept is um, a child of perhaps a general in the army. And that child may know that that general who is leading and commanding a multitude of troops and making decisions that affect so many lives, that child sees him as the daddy who puts the syrup on his pancakes. That child sees him as the one who throws the football to him or teaches him how to ride his bicycle. But one day he might come out during one of the ceremonies where, where the general is standing in front of all of the troops. And that child will see his father in a role and a position and an authority that he's not used to seeing him in. He's used to the individual interaction with him, but he's not used to recognizing the heavy responsibility that's upon his father, recognizing all of the respect and the multitudes of people that are looking up to him and depending on him for the direction that they're going to go. And when we look at Jesus from that individual perspective, we have that that tenderness. We have, he's the one who, who washed me. 
from my sins and cleansed me and made me new. He's the one who, who's always been my ever-present help in time of trouble. He's faithful. He's steadfast to me. I, I think of him as such an individual Lord, such a, a personal Savior, someone who means so much to me. He's the one who's drawn the smiley faces on my pancakes with my syrup. But then when you stand and see him leading the church, the Lord and head of the church, you recognize he's the highest in authority in the entire universe. He is the one who multitudes are looking to and following and responding to his voice. And we recognize the bigger picture, the panoramic view that we have of him. And as we mature in the things of God, we're going to move from just that elementary stage of knowing Him in that personal level. And we're going to move into the place where we say, my, my Heavenly Father, my Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're all focused on one goal. They're all interacting for a purpose and as a child of God I want to be a part of that purpose I want to be involved in that purpose you know as the child grows if the father if, 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 if there's a family business that child learns to interact in the family business amen and so I want to talk about the the house of God tonight from that perspective and we'll begin uh, by identifying the different roles Jesus currently holds. Jesus is not sitting in heaven twiddling his thumbs waiting for a response from God to go ride, ride the white horse and come back to get us. He is very, very um, uh, heavily involved in the lives of people individually and the progression of the church in the world today. So first, let's look at Hebrews 3.1 and we'll see. I want to show you uh, the, the present day ministry as Brother Hagen would refer to it, the present day ministry of the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 3.1, he is the apostle, the apostle and high priest of our profession. Hebrews 3.1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So this is something he is currently overseeing as the apostle and high priest. Secondly, he is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is a mediator. This is something he is presently involved in. He's our high priest, our apostle and high priest. He's our mediator. Thirdly, he's our intercessor. Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this salvation, this standing in between, this intercession is something he's currently involved in. Then we see that he is our advocate. 
1 John 2, 1. Now, I do want to identify the difference between a mediator and an advocate. The unsaved need a mediator to get to God. The advocate is for the believer who has experienced a failure, who has sinned, and needs to uh, have an advocate to uh, bring uh, back into that uh, uh, fellowship with God. So this says in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the unsaved, when they come to Jesus, he mediates to establish a relationship with God when he becomes their Savior. Amen? Amen. But for the righteous... He is no longer mediating, but he's advocating. We come and we say, Lord, forgive me. I repent of that. Forgive me of that. I missed it. I acted a way I shouldn't have acted. I held that grudge and I should have immediately forgiven them right away. So, Lord, forgive me for that. And he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, he establishes and reestablishes that sense of fellowship with God. Amen. And that advocate that advocating for us. And then we see that He is the Lord and the head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, He has put, God has put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that fills all in all. So He is the head of the church. I was, um, years ago, when we were, we had been pastoring the, the location in Kansas uh, at that time, probably about uh, five or six years, and uh, I, I had a neighbor, I was, I was driving the church van at that time, because we had had uh, some other things that were going on, and I had to go pick up supplies and things, so I had, there were times I would drive the church van that we had home and it had the name of the church so my neighbor knew that we were pastors and uh, so one day I was off I was at home minding my own business and the knock came at my door and my neighbor I opened the door and before I could even get any cordial salutation hello so good to see you how are you doing she began I mean, it must have been convicting her because she began telling me, I don't have to go to church to be saved. <laughs> Hello. So good to see you. How are you? Do you need a cup of sugar? How can I help you today? I don't have to go to church to be saved. And she began to argue with me, and I'm not even arguing. She began to, to tell me all of her reasoning why she felt like she didn't have to go to church to be saved. And I'm like, well, of course you don't have to go to church to be saved. But, but my, my response was, if Jesus is the head of the church, wouldn't you want to go to a church? If, if he's your Lord individually, but he's also the head of the church. Amen? How does it appear to him that he's the head of something you don't want to go to? I mean, that would be like my husband being the pastor here, but I don't want to attend. <laughs> I'm going to go to another church. That, how would that reflect on him? I know. <laughs> I know. How would that reflect on him? 
And this woman was under conviction evidently because I did not start this conversation and I didn't even argue with her. I just, you know, tried to give her some, you know, if there was a little open door, tried to bring some light, but we did not come to any kind of solution as far as I knew. But the, a lot of people will reason in their mind that I don't need the local church, but Jesus chose the local church as the place where he was going to put his gifts, where he was going to establish his fivefold ministry offices to operate in the local church. Amen? And he established the local church as a place to be discipled, a place to grow, a place for the, the uh, development of, uh, of, of your life. And so uh, because he's the head of the church, we want to uh, give ourselves to understand what his plan is in the local church. And, and as I said, we're focusing on being a spiritual house, a spiritual house. Acts 4.11, and I want to read this one to you from the Amplified Bible. It says, this Jesus is the stone which was despised and rejected by you, the builders, but has become the head of the corner or the cornerstone. The cornerstone. I, I remember a song years ago. Uh, uh, Jesus is the cornerstone. Came for sinners to atone. Hallelujah. The cornerstone. And the Bible refers to him as the cornerstone, but we just read from 1 Peter that it refers to us as living stones being built together. Each one of us, when we join together, we form uh, the house of God. This building is not the house of God. It is the assembling of the people together, the individual stones together that forms the house of God. And do you see why it's important for us to gather? Do you, see, do you see how people have been uh, made vulnerable to fear and vulnerable to wrong ideas because there hasn't been the gatherings? The, the gatherings and now people, some people are afraid to gather and, and cautious about gathering. And we don't want to exercise foolishness. We want to operate in faith and be, we want to be wise. And, but we also recognize the plan of God is the coming together because when each living stone joins together to form this spiritual house, there is a corporate anointing, there's a corporate flow, there is a manifestation of the, the, the gifts of the Spirit and the moving of the Spirit that empower us in a way that's different than what I can get by myself. God never planned New Testament believers to be Lone Rangers. He never planned for us to be doing this alone. And, and, and he made this a group sport, <laughs> a, a group effort. He, he, this is not a, 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 a spectator sport where, where y'all are all watching and I'm doing all the work. No, we're this, I'm the coach and we're in the room right now getting ready to go out and play, getting ready to go out onto the field of life. Amen. And I, I'm passing out information and we've got plays that are going forth. And, and I don't know much about football, so I'm not going to go any further with this football illustration. <laughs> but to let you know that we are, uh, we are all necessary. That's right. 
all believers have a part to play in the plan of God. All believers. It's not just those who are behind the pulpit. We are believers and it's the believers who are going to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It's the believers who are going to to, uh, share the gospel. The believers who are going to cast out devils and, and, and experience the Uh, keeping power of God if we drink any deadly thing if any deadly thing touches us it shall not hurt us Amen. Amen. so we are all living stones and Jesus is the head stone the cornerstone and we're being built together in him praise God Um, Colossians chapter 1 I want to read 15 through 19 in Colossians chapter 1. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, Lord, that we get to be a part of what you're doing on this planet. Colossians 1, 15. Speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, talking about the firstborn of, of the new creation. For by Him were... All things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. He is before all things. And we're talking about of importance, of utmost importance. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. The uh, verse 18, um, I have another translation. It may be the Weiss, but let's look at the Amplified of verse 18, if we could. We're recognizing Jesus in that position of authority, in that rulership. He is the head of His body, the church, seeing He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that He alone in everything and in every respect might occupy the chief place, stand first, and be preeminent. So we see that Jesus is holding the highest position and ruling and governing. Hallelujah. Ruling and governing the church. Ruling and governing the corporate body of Christ on the earth. Jesus is, is uh, guiding and, and deciding the strategies and the plays and the maneuvers that we are, are executing. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 1, 22. Ephesians 1 in this text has just identified the greatness of his power and referring to the resurrection power uh, in verse 20. 
And then verse 21 established that he has been now seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be over all, head over all things to the church. So again, we've read this earlier, but for this purpose of seeing the complete rulership that Jesus has been given over the church. He's the head of the church, but he's the one exercising the dominion and guiding the affairs and dictating the direction of the church. Amen. Hallelujah. The church isn't a weak church. The church is not a weak church. The body of Christ. There may be some that have disconnected themselves from the vine, but those who are connected to the vine are receiving the life from the vine. Those who are connected, we are branches that are fruit-bearing branches. We are branches that are, are demonstrating our connection by the power that's still operating in the church today because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because He's the same, He is still healing and doing good. He is still the anointed one who carries the anointing. We are ones connected to that anointing and distributing that anointing here on this earth in His name. But He, through that anointing, is healing all who are oppressed of the devil. Hallelujah. Doing good and healing all. Glory to God because He's the same. So what he did when he was present on the earth is what he's doing as he is present through the body. He's, he says through, throughout the book of John, you see so many instances where he says, I am sent by my father. I, my father sent me. I only say what the one who sent me told me to say. I only do what the one who sent me told me to do. He uh, identified, I am sent. I'm here representing him. I'm here doing what he wants me to do. And then he turns around and sends us. He turns around and sends us. So it would be appropriate for us to say, I only do what the sent one told me to do. The one who sent me. The one who sent me. I'm here to represent him. I'm here to demonstrate Him to you. I'm here to do what He would do in this situation because He it, it delegated to me the responsibility of representing Him as His body on the earth. So the Lord, if we look from a panoramic scriptural point of view, we can see that the Lord has placed His approval on two major organizations. He has placed his approval on the family. We see that in the Garden of Eden, how he established the family, the husband and the wife, the man and the woman, how he established the family. And he desires for the family to be blessed. And throughout the, the Bible, we see God blessing the families. He identified himself, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, I'm the God of that whole family. I'm God of that family. He said, I, I promise that I will save your seed. He promised the parent that to save. He said, I will bless your seed. I will multiply your seed. He, why? Because he, my promise is not just to you, but it's to every heir 
that you have. And we are heirs of Abraham's blessing because God is a God who will bless the whole family for generation after generation after generation. And the same blessing that he, that he swore to Abraham, he swore to me, he swore to you. Why? Because it's a family inheritance that we have in Christ. But we also see that he has established his blessing on the church. The family and the church are, are two primary organizations, two primary entities on the earth that God has established as holy to him, as set apart to him, as something that he desires to see uh, operate in his design. So what does the Lord want in the body of Christ today? He wants us to build strong local churches. And He wants there to be strong families in those strong local churches. Hallelujah. Build strong families, build strong local churches. When we become convinced that the only way... Now, I want you to hear me. And then I'm going to qualify so you don't hear something I didn't say. If people are convinced the only way we can be effective is if we are a mega church, they will miss the emphasis of God. I'm not saying we're meant to be small, but I'm telling you we don't have to wait until numbers are... are at any certain level to be powerful, to be effective, or to be on target. Praise God. Every healthy thing grows. So our church will grow and continue to grow and multiply and continue to multiply and increase and continue to increase. So I'm not saying that, that, that numbers aren't in God's plan. I mean, he's got a book out of numbers, y'all. And so, so I'm not saying that having a number of people in the church isn't going to allow us to have a bigger impact. But I'm telling you that as long as we have God, we've got the impact. Amen. So when we recognize that the, the strong local church, whatever the size of that church may be, the importance is that it's effective in God. Amen. That it is flowing with the Spirit of God. Now, I use this story often because the Holy Spirit continually brings it to me to teach me. And so I'm going to help you learning what he's teaching me as well. But a conversation that someone had with Brother Hagen, in that conversation they said, Brother Hagen, you often refer to J.R. Goodwin. And J.R. Goodwin and his wife pastored a church of about 300 in Texas. And um, Brother Hagen, when he would go there, he would say, you know, they were wall to wall. They had to set chairs out in the foyer. They had chairs all around the walls. People were standing up. People there because... And so someone asked the question, why didn't he big, get a, a bigger building? Why didn't he expand? And um, this person, it was Pastor Nancy, this person who uh, asked the question 
uh, in this conversation with Brother Hagen, the Lord dealt with her uh, later in her prayer time and identified that the, having the bigger building could have affected what his effectiveness was doing. He was able to, what Brother Hagen responded was he was able to, he, Brother Goodwin, he said, Pastor Goodwin was the, uh, the only pastor he knew who had operated at that level with accuracy with the gifts of the Spirit. Not just him personally, but was able to allow the moving of the Spirit in the church in a way that was under the, the, the right directing under the right control, nothing getting goofy, nothing getting weird, people not getting over into the... He was able to maintain that flow and recognize the flow of the Spirit. And, and he was at that level and could maintain that at that level. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen? So what we want is not to identify success by numbers but by su success by accuracy Amen. am I doing what God is this church doing what God is telling us to do Amen. is this church uh, flowing and, and, and yielding to the spirit of God and, and participating with him and allowing his flow in our lives amen so uh, the flow of the spirit is the direction I want to go. Let's look at uh, Psalm 133 because we want to be a spiritual house. Amen. A spiritual house. Psalm 133 is a scripture that uh, for any of you who have been uh, in our corporate prayer, we have been praying this verse uh, over this church uh, for a couple of years now. And it is something that as I have prayed it, I've seen it from different angles. And I, let's begin in verse 1 and read uh, all three verses in Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Now we've just identified this is referring to the high priest anointing. When the high priest was placed into office, there was an, an, an oil, an anointing oil, representing an empowerment of the Spirit of God that was poured over him. And the high priest, wearing the high priest garment, he was covered and his entire garment was covered. When Aaron ended his role as high priest and his son stepped into that position, he took off his robe and gave it to his son. And now his son is anointed with a fresh anointing, but still carrying the anointing of the original Amen. high priest. And now he's flowing in his anointing and his father's anointing. And when he stepped out of that role and his son stepped in, he put on his father's garment Amen. that still carried his grandfather's anointing and now his anointing. And he receives a fresh anointing upon himself. God designed for us to flow as a corporate body in the anointings. He never designed for us to all begin at Genesis anointing and have to work our way the the evidence 
of anointings of those who have received them. For instance, Pastor Caldwell, who is our spiritual father. You can see the anointing of the people that God had submitted him to. Lester Summerall, he caught from him that, that empowerment for the television station. He caught from him, if you listen to uh, back in the 70s, Brother Summerall uh, was teaching things that, Brother, uh, that, that Pastor Caldwell caught about saving our cities. And he wrote that book, Saving Our Cities. And I was doing some work on his old notes that he had handwritten out and I was typing them out for him. And I found where he was in Lester Summerall's meetings and he was writing things that later ended up in his book. Why? Because he was catching from that anointing. Amen. He was catching from that anointing, catching from that anointing that he had uh, from his interaction with Brother Hagen and T.L. Osborne and, and, and the different ones, uh, 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 um, uh, Brother Roberts. Those who had ministered to him of their anointing, he flowed in it, and, and those who are willing to catch it can flow in it from him. Amen? Praise God. And so this flow of the anointing, he said it's something that's supposed to be on the body. The anointing that comes from the high priest. Our high priest is Jesus. Our high priest is Jesus. And the anointing is received in the connecting in the body and the unity of the body and the joining together or the assembling together in the body. Hallelujah. Brother Hagen told a story about back in the years when he was still pastoring. And he talked about a certain uh, occasion where the glory of God had fallen so strongly in that service that it was like a holy hush that they sat for 45 minutes and not one baby cried. And it was one of those services that, you know, the whole family, all of the children were in the room. Right, right. The children weren't fussing. The babies weren't crying. Nobody coughed. Nobody sneezed. Nobody uh, was moving. It was such a holy presence of God that had filled that auditorium that nobody moved. They sat in their chairs. There was actually in one, he talks about, there was a man who, would, who drove his wife to church and he didn't come in and he sat outside and he said, he, he pulled up to come get her and he's sitting outside waiting on her and waiting on her and waiting on her. And finally, <laughs> he comes and looks in the window because he's like, I, I see all the cars in the parking lot, yeah, yeah. but I don't hear any singing. I don't hear any preaching. I can't hear anything. Is there anybody in the building? You know, did the rapture happen and I got left behind because all the cars are here? But there's not a sound coming. The, the presence of God was so holy. But Brother Hagen said, I went for a year and a half in that glory that had fallen in that one service. He said, we went in a, for a year and a half in that flow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The church was propelled because of it. The church was, was, was moved into a, a flow that the, that the Spirit of God had brought that glory for. 
It's not just for the moment. When we think about the, the presence of God and services that we've had that were so uh, tangible, the, I, I remember one service, and you'll remember this because you brought a gentleman here who had, who had built those desks, the desks there. And we, we tried to move away. We were trying to move on with the service, and the power of God just kept me on. It was almost like I gave the whole service was an altar call. And it was such a pleading. It was such a drawing. It, it was, I've never experienced anything like it before, and I've never experienced anything like it since. And for those of you who were here in that service, you, it, it was unmistakable that God was drawing someone to be saved. It was, it was such a love of God. It was such a drawing. It was such a, a rescue. It was such a... And, and there were a lot of people who received freedom and, 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 and liberty in that. Hallelujah. And this is in the gathering. This is in the assembling. How good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like this anointing that flows. It says this precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. In other words, it goes all through the body. The entire body of Christ is going to benefit as we experience this. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. You know, as the dew descends, it turns into creeks and it turns into, it, it gains momentum until it's rushing river by the time it reaches the bottom of the mountain, right? In other words, there's a momentum. There's an acceleration as it comes through the body an acceleration in our lives. And so it says, for there, there, in that place of unity, in that place where the brethren are coming together with singleness of purpose and singleness of heart and a determined unity, where that, that unity is there, the Lord commands the blessing. The Lord commands the blessing. Now, this can bless us individually but we'll experience the greater flow of that blessing as we recognize the importance of it corporately as we see the church as being important the body of Christ as being important as seeing the assembling of ourselves not to clock in and say I did it I went you know I was there but to come and and connect to come and have that spiritual connection that allows the anointing and the glory of God to, to move in my life in a way that puts me somewhere further along when I walk out of the building than I was when I came into the building. Amen. 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 Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. Proverbs 20 and verse 5. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So there are spiritual counsels, wisdoms that are in the heart 
And the way to access them, the spiritual flow, is to draw it out. Well, the same thing can be said concerning the spiritual flow in the church, the spiritual flow, or we could even say the revelation that flows. Uh, We'll often remark, it's not just um, that the preaching is greatly affected by the hearer. It's not just the ability of a preacher. There have been times that I've been in places that I know I, I had something to give, to express, but I could only get so far because I could only give what they were able to receive. When the drawing, when the congregation learns to draw, when the congregation learns to access answers, the pastor will preach things he or she never intended to say. I've had the last few services, I've stood up here and never got halfway through my notes because I was saying things I didn't mean to say, but somebody needed to hear it said. (laughs) Why? Because somebody was pulling. Somebody was drawing out the counsel that was in the heart, the counsel of the Holy Spirit, the counsel of wisdom, the counsel, the answer that they needed for their specific. And so when we come in with the attitude that pastor doesn't even have to know the details for God to speak to him through, to speak to me through him. He can, he can just by the spirit, give me the answer that I need because I'm coming with the ear to hear. I'm coming with a determination. I'm going to get an answer for what I need today. And, And it can be drawn out. So these spiritual flows, you know, Jesus was sitting on the well and the woman came and wanted to have this confrontation you know, what are you doing here? And I'm a Samaritan and you, your people don't have dealings with my people. And, 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 and Jesus wanted to talk about the supply. He wanted to talk about the supply of the well. He wanted to talk about not that, not that natural water. He wanted to talk about the, 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 the supply, the source of wisdom and life that was in, on the inside of him. Yeah. Amen? Amen? But he still said it had to be drawn out. Not just that natural water had to be drawn out, but it had to be drawn out. When we come to God, there has to be a a receiving because He's not going to make us get saved. We have to come and and draw by receiving Jesus as Lord. Amen. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. In Mark chapter 6, let's look at 54. And 56, and I want to see uh, people drawing on Jesus' supply. Mark 6, 54. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick when they heard he was. Or you could say when they heard he was there. And wherever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the street and besought him that they, that, uh, they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. Well, we know from Mark 5 
the woman who had continually said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. She pressed her way through the crowd because she kept saying, if I can just touch. So her, her faith that was in her heart and in her mouth motivated her to press through the crowd. If I can just touch, I shall be whole. And Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? And his disciples said, how can you say who touched you? Everybody's touching you. We're being thronged right now. We are, in, we are being jostled and poked. You know, could you imagine how frustrated they were in that kind of a crowd? I, have you ever been in such a crowd of people trying to rush to get onto a, a, a bus or a platform or whatever, and, and they're just bustling against you, and you're like, stop, you know, get back off space, personal space, people. And, and they were, there were so many people thronging him that it seemed absurd to the disciples that he would ask that question. But he wasn't asking what they thought he was asking. He wasn't saying, who touched me naturally? He's saying, who drew out of me? Who drew out of me? Because he knew in himself that power had been drawn on. That power, he, it says virtue in the King James, and that word virtue is that dunamis word, that power. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. That, he said, I know healing power has left my body. Somebody drew on healing power. Somebody made the right connection. To access electricity, Benjamin Franklin had to make the right connection. He, he made that right connection when he, he put the right elements together so that the electricity that he could see in the sky would travel down through his, that string and the key or whatever he had together there to, to conduct it. He had to have the right conductor to allow it to flow, to allow it to be transmitted and Jesus said, somebody has come with the right conductor and they have made a connection and power has flowed and they've drawn on something that's in me and I want to know who, I need to hear the testimony, who just got what they got. Hallelujah. Well, these people evidently were inspired by her story because they're saying, if I can just touch, just let us touch. And they were made whole. Mm -hmm. Drawing out of him. It, it, this wasn't hard for him to minister. This wasn't hard. It wasn't him having to purposefully transmit and make them receive. This was them saying, if, 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 I can draw on it. Yes. I mean, it came to the point in the New Testament that in, uh, in the New Testament, after the book of Acts, when the New Testament was in place, mm -hmm. it came to the point that they were putting people in the street just to be in the vicinity of Peter, so that his, just close enough for even his shadow. shadow. Well, there wasn't the power in the shadow, but the power was so emanating from him, they were able to draw on it, just like if you get uh, too close to a live wire... I mean, you don't have to touch the live wire to access and get it to spark to you. 
if you've got the right kind of, 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 of metal piece, you can get it to arc to you. It'll travel over to you, won't it? You, if you draw on it. Well, he, he said they were drawing on it. They were drawing on that power. Jesus is the same. He's the same tonight as he was making them whole as they drew. We can draw on his power and access his wholeness. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Notice what it said here. It says, they ran about the region and they brought them to the vicinity. So there was an expectation. If you go to the effort to get someone who is near death and put them on a stretcher and bring them out and set them into the street, you're not expecting to carry them back home in that, in that situation. Amen. I mean, if you tear the roof off to let a man down through the roof, you're going to expect that it's going to be okay because of what he's about to get. Amen. You're not going to expect to have to pull him back up through the roof. Oh, here, I don't think they held on to the ropes they lowered him down with. I think they lowered it and let him go because he's not going to need me to lift him back up and carry him home. Amen. Why? There was an expectation. And that expectation will position us. That same in the woman from Mark chapter 5. If you look at verse 28, it says, For she said, If I may touch... But his clothes, I shall be whole. That was her expectation. And it was the expectation that got her out of her house. It was the expectation that caused her to press through the crowd. It was her expectation that put her there at that time, at that day. Expectation. But it was faith that drew. It was faith that drew. Because Jesus said, your faith has made you whole in verse 34. Faith made her whole, but expectation, which is hope. Faith is... It gives substance to the things we hope for, the Knox translation says. Faith is that which gives substance to the things we are expecting or hoping. So the expectation will put you in the right position, but the faith will arc out and, and, and hook to and connect to that power and bring it into your life. Amen. Hallelujah. And, but we're talking about the local church. We're talking about a spiritual house. We're talking about what happens, not just individually for me to draw, but when we come together and every believer, every congregant is learning how to draw, learning how to draw on the Spirit, learning how to draw on that revelation, learning how to draw on that answers. And as the, the man or woman of God is standing in the pulpit and the power of the Holy Spirit is enabling and, and, and edifying and everybody's drawing, there's a greater supply coming forth. A greater supply going out because there's a greater demand being put, not just from one or two, but from the body. Amen. That we're learning to flow together in that hunger. That we're learning to flow together in that, that listening to, that yielding to, that desire. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Ephesians 4, we see the local church the body of Christ identified in uh, something that I've referred to, but I'd like to go ahead and read verses 10 through 16 of Ephesians 4. 
He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. We saw that uh, phrase, fill all things, uh, also referring to him, he is the one who fills all in all. So the fullness is in Christ and as the body of Christ joins and connects in that unity, his fullness can have a greater manifestation. Uh, It says in verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting, the word perfecting means developing or maturing, for the maturing of the saints, the developing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity. Do we see the unity again identified? Till we all come. So for us to come in this unity, there needs to be a developing. There needs to be the work of the ministry having a place of importance, not just from the the leader in the church, but the whole church. Not just from the one assigned to be pastor. The pastor or the evangelist or the teacher was never assigned to do all the work of the church. Listen, I'm only singing short term. I'm not assigned to do all things. I'm not the man behind the the curtain (laughs) running all the machines. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But because I am the co-pastor here, there is an anointing on me to fill any role that needs to be filled and there's not a role that's, above, that, that's beneath me. There's not a role that I think is, is, is less than. I would gladly greet. I, would, I, 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 I clean toilets. I'll do whatever needs to be done because this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. and whatever I can put my hands to to give Him glory, I am willing to do it. Amen? Amen. But I know that I'm holding a temporary position until the one who is specifically anointed to lead that worship team comes. But until then, I have an anointing that can cover it. Amen? Amen? Glory to God. But every believer taking their place causes it not to be one or two or just a handful of people. When, when they give the statistic that... 80-20 principle, I don't think it should apply in the church. You know what the 80-20 principle is? That uh, 80% of the people are doing 20% of the work and 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. That should not be. That's not in our church. We, We won't let that. Why? Because we want everybody bringing their supply, their, 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 their abilities to honor God with. Every, every one of us needs to have that um, opportunity to serve Him. Amen. What greater thing could there be than serving the Lord? Amen. Amen. What greater thing can there be? Hallelujah. So He says that we develop the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a well-developed, mature man, person, or body, 
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth from now on that we would not be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. We don't have to be that. But where are we going to get the stability and the wisdom to protect us from that? In the local church where he established the work of the ministry and the gifts, the ministry gifts, speaking the truth in love that we would grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, here we are, fitly joined together joined together it's in that joining that we give a supply and receive a supply the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies hallelujah according to the effectual working in the measure of every part every part has a working in the body Every part has something to bring in the body. All hands on deck. Amen. Makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Glory to God. So this is talking about a developing, a a, uh, unifying, a coming together. And as we learn to... Uh, work as one as we learn to live as one with the the purpose of God the vision that God has given this local church uh, taking it ownership of it making it our own as as the uh, plan that of God for what he's doing in this city our part in that plan amen as we take that uh, seriously and we see that we each have a part we're going to grow and we're going to develop and we're going to mature and we're going to to do all of that is not going to happen overnight it's not going to happen because we come to church once in a while it's going to come because we are growing and learning and developing and allowing his vision to become our vision amen, amen. glory to God so the first key to this Uh, is learning how to esteem the body of Christ and how he has set up the body. Mm -hmm. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians, and it's the text that I I like to use when we share communion, uh, and in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he is referring to uh, the body, and he said, because they did not discern the Lord's body that there were people who were sick and they were weak. That has a twofold meaning. In, in one way, it, it, it means they did not recognize there's healing in the broken body, there's covenant rights in the shed blood, and they weren't accessing what was available in the broken body and the shed blood to pull into their situation, their physical body at that moment. But it can also refer to discerning the Lord's body alive on the earth today and recognizing that as I, uh, for, for us to step out of love with our brothers and sisters in Christ, for us to be 
uh, critical or, or hateful or bitter. Those things that the New Testament brings such an instruction for us, such an emphasis for us to avoid those things. Don't let bitterness and envying and strife be counted among you. Don't let, it's where there's envying and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. He's continually emphasizing that because if we see ourselves as the body, you would never intentionally smash your toe. You would not just put your toe out there and say, that toe looks ugly today and just take a ball-peen hammer and whack your toe. That's my toe and I love my toe. And it may not be pretty, but I need it for my stability and for my balance. I mean, just try to keep your balance with one little, I mean, just a little toe can make you walk funny if it's not feeling right. So we don't, when we begin to see the body of Christ and esteeming the body of Christ as as this is my brother in Christ, this person, even if they don't agree with my denomination or my, uh, uh, my, my set of beliefs, Exactly. If they're washed in the same blood, I'm not going to touch them. I'm not going to criticize them. I'm not going to enter into strife with them. Why? Because I honor him and I want there to be unity in the body. I think it's interesting to watch uh, the drills that the Marine Corps will do, they have the drill teams and they come out with the, those, uh, the drill team rifles and they, they do all of the, the different flipping and the, but it's not as impressive if it's just one. What's really impressive is when they're all, I mean, you've got 25 men standing there flipping all in cadence together, all in so that it looks like it's one flowing movement, but they're all individual, but it's one flowing movement. Mm -hmm. That's what causes you to say, wow, but they didn't get there the first time. It was in their coming together and practicing. It was in their coming together and learning how to move together. And when I've been praying Psalm 133 over these last two years, one of the things that I have been so aware of is the unity is not just a lack of of strife between us. What's more important is that we all get in unison with God and learn how to flow in unison with Him and each other. First of all, keeping his pace because he's the one who's setting the pace for us. He's the, he's the one who is establishing the, the, what's going to set the flow. And then as we do that, we learn how to, coming together and looking to him, we're learning how to flow together. Amen. We're learning how to flow together as a corporate body flowing in the spirit. So that esteem is necessary, that growing in love and that esteeming. Uh, Jesus was lightly esteemed. I know that's hard for me to picture what that would have looked like because I have such a regard for him and for the things that he taught in the word that how people could have sat in his presence and heard him and thought so little of what he said. But scripture tells us that. Luke 4, 18 gives us an example of people who 
heard Jesus and they were not impressed whatsoever. And in fact, they were so offended that they wanted to kill him. Luke 4, one of my favorite sermons. I love this sermon. This sermon changed my life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say, in other words, he, that was his text. Now I'm going to preach on that. He just read the text for his sermon and now he's about to preach. He began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears and all bear him witness. Now so evidently he's preaching. He didn't just read a text and that made them mad. He read the text and he said, This is happening right before your eyes. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. God has anointed me with the Holy Ghost and power and I'm going to go about doing good and healing all that are oppressed because I'm anointed to set the captive free. I'm anointed to see them set at liberty that are brokenhearted. I'm anointed for it. And they heard his words. They bore him witness and wondered at the gracious words. Listen, gracious words. Words full of God's goodness. He was preaching good news. They wondered at the gracious words. And here's what they said at this amazing sermon. That is Joseph's son. Joseph's son. They wanted to bring him down to the natural. I remember him when he was this high. I remember him when. Is this not Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in this country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, Many widows were in Israel in the day of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent save unto Sarepta, a city of Sinon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed saving Naaman the Syrian. In other words, the people of their own, of the own country didn't have enough respect for the prophet, so God knew I couldn't send them. I can't send him to help. Why? Because they won't receive him. You know, Jeremiah said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to prophesy anymore. No. And he tried not to. And he said, it was like a fire shut up in my bones. Why? Because I got to say it, but they don't love me for it. It's not happy, the response that I'm getting. And you read throughout the Old Testament and they would say things like, 
uh, was it Sennacherib who said, I don't like that prophet. He always says things that are, are against me. <laughs> don't bring me Elijah. <laughs> I don't want Elijah. He always prophesies against me. In other words, just bring me somebody who's going to tell me what I want to hear. They weren't receiving them. They didn't esteem them. They didn't honor and respect. And because they didn't honor and respect, they weren't receiving. And continuing here in Luke 4, I want to continue on. Verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill <laughs> whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. I mean, they had a plan. Cast, they were wanting to throw him over the cliff on his head because of a sermon he preached. The sermon that brought so many other people liberty. The sermon that caused so many other people to get set free and healed and made whole. But for the, the lack of respect, they couldn't receive anything from him. Look with me as well in um, Mark 6. Mark 6, 1 through 6. And he went out from there and came into his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished. Astonished. And astonished isn't just surprised. It was kind of, they were offendedly surprised. They were astonished. It, it wasn't a pleasant thing. They saying, from whence... Has this man these things? And what wisdom is it, is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. He's saying, you can't get past the natural to see what God in me wants to do. The, the, the purpose of identifying people who've grown up around me, my kin, is saying they're seeing me through natural eyes. They're only knowing me after the flesh. And the New Testament warns us not to know each other after the flesh. Amen. But to recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. To know each other after those who are born again. Amen? Hallelujah. I don't want my pastor to be my buddy. I keep a place of respect between us. We've, had, we've traveled with our pastor and his wife. We've traveled with them. I've driven them places. I've seen them tired. They've seen me tired. But in it all, I never come to the place where I want to be your buddy and we are equal and, in, in this, in, in, and, and uh, we have a great uh, love for each other. 
but I want him and her to always know I have you in a place of great respect because of who you are to me from God. Amen. Amen. In that, that wisdom can always flow. They can say things not even knowing that they're giving me answers, not even knowing that they're answering something specifically from God. Why? Because I have them in that place that they are not just natural people. They are people who are a gift of God to me. They are people who God has chosen to place in my life to bring a supply from Him to me that needs to come through through that delegation. Jesus said to uh, uh, John, "It, it is necessary for you to baptize me. John said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. He said, it's necessary. Why? Because there is a delegation because God provided man with the authority. There was a delegation on the earth that Jesus needed to submit to. And when they came to him and said, by what authority do you do these things? He said, I'll ask you a question. If you can answer my question, I'll answer yours. By what authority did John the Baptist baptize? Was it from heaven or was it from man? And the answer was in that question. The answer to what they wanted to know, what authority and who gave you this authority, the answer to it was in the answer that would have been given to his question. Was it from the baptism of John? Was it from God? Well, John himself said, The one who sent me to baptize told me, Upon whom I see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, he is the one who is the Christ. And I testify this day that I have seen the Holy Spirit descend upon him and remain upon him. So he said, The one who sent me to baptize. But as a representative on the earth of a man committed to the plan of God and sent by God, there needed to be a man baptized. So for people who say, I follow God and not man, they're not following God. Because God established leadership in the church. He established, we just read it, He has given gifts, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, for the edifying of the church, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. He chose to place people who are sold out to Him, operating in His ministry office. The ministry office, just like my natural office, I have tools, I have instruments that aren't in my kitchen. I have to come to my office to operate certain pieces of equipment because they're only in the office. Pastor says, our pastor, he says, I have stories because they're part of the pastor's office. They're right here on my tool belt. It's part of, part of the equipment. Part of the equipment of the evangelist was the signs and the miracles. Part of the equipment of the prophet is the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of the word of knowledge. That's part of the equipment. 
It's not limited to the office, but it's definitely operating in that office. It can operate in a believer through the gift of the Spirit, but that gift of the Spirit is a, a primary working in the office. So there are offices, there are offices that God has established in the church and one emphasis is being developed in that office. Developing in the, in, in the thing that that person is called to do. Hallelujah. So there can be pastors who've only given themselves in de and developed themselves or maybe only been at it long enough so that they're operating at 30% of that ministry office capability. Pastors who, and I, I can recognize the difference, the way that my pastor can say things, and, and my husband and I bo both will say, when he said it, it was so soothing. I mean, he can even confront you and make you feel like, I'm so glad he did that. I mean, just correct you and it just make you feel good all over. Why? Because he's well-developed in the pastor's office. Amen. And that comfort. When the first night that we had to do our online because of the, the things that the government had asked for us to, to prohibit, to you know, limit the gatherings, I asked pastor to come. Our, pastor Steele was with his father who was uh, in, in some of the last stages of what he was dealing with, passing away. And so uh, I said, Pastor Caldwell, would you come? Uh, because people need to hear that safety. And he said, Michelle, you could do this. I said, not the way you could. <laughs> I could, but it wouldn't be nearly as comforting as it would coming from you who has developed almost 40 years in the pastor's office. I mean, he's operated that equipment for till the point that he is proficient in it it operates at a higher uh, uh, proficiency for him hallelujah what would happen if all the people who are called to the ministry offices those five-fold ministry offices would become so highly developed that they are operating in the full potential power of their office so that every pastor is operating at the full potential they could operate in in that office. So that every evangelist <laughs> was operating in the full potential of that evangelist's office. Do you think things would look different in the body? Do you think the effect would be different in the, in the people receiving in the body? I do. I do. Hallelujah. The, the esteeming affects the way we can receive. Jesus, he was quite capable of distributing answers that they needed and anointings and wisdom. But because they didn't esteem him as having anything to offer, he couldn't give it to them. As much as he wanted to give it, he couldn't give it to them because they couldn't receive it. He taught his disciples this concept. Let's look at Matthew 10. I am looking for a jumping off place. And we'll try to find it here. Matthew 10, 13. He's teaching his disciples as he's preparing to send them out. He said, if the house be worthy... 
let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. What, what makes a house worthy? I wonder if that could apply to the hearer. If the hearer be worthy. <laughs> if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever shall not receive you. Now we're about to find out what makes the house worthy or unworthy. Did Jesus go into one house and he, he even said, you didn't wash my feet? Uh, he wasn't getting on to them, but they were criticizing the woman that came in and washed his feet with her tears. And he said, you didn't even receive me by washing my feet. And, and you're going to criticize her for doing something that you should have done in receiving me into this house. So he's talking about receiving. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. So what made the worthy for the peace to come on them or unworthy for the peace to come back to the speaker, the deliverer of the message, was how that person was received. If they don't receive you or hear your words. Hallelujah. Verse 15, Verily I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Why, they're going to be judged for, re for not receiving the word that was sent to them. This is an interesting thought. I am trying to close, y'all. This is an interesting thought. Brother Copeland was in the early years of his ministry and he said he was having a, a crusade in a certain place and he said people were staying away by the thousands. <laughs> in other words, he was not having very good attendance at all. And he went to the Lord and said, Lord, what am I doing here? Can I just close this meeting early? Because, you know, we're paying for the hotel conference center. We're, you know, we're, we've got all of the overhead, the advertising. Nobody's coming. The city doesn't want. I, I remember uh, when we first had Jerry Savelle in the Kansas location, he said, where have you guys been all these years? We have been trying to get to Kansas City. We hadn't been able to get into Kansas City since the 80s. Brother Hagin said he wouldn't come back to that area because there was no receiving of him. Hallelujah. But Brother Copeland was trying to get out of that meeting. He said, Lord, can I just close this meeting? And he said, no, you'll hold this meeting. You'll keep it open. And if anybody in this town ever stands before me and says, you never sent the answer to me, I will, say, I will be able to rightfully say, I did and you wouldn't come to it. Hallelujah. How many people did he impress upon them to come and they wouldn't? Did he draw them to come and they said, my oxen, I just got married. I had all of the excuses of like that man who had made the, the dinner and, and they had all the reasons why they couldn't come to the dinner. And God had prepared a, a wealth of wisdom for that city, whatever city it was, and they wouldn't come to it. Hallelujah. In uh, verse 40, same chapter, verse 40, and this was my second close, second closing. He that receives you receives me. 
Hallelujah. If he sent me, then when you receive me, you're receiving him. Because I'm not coming in my name. I'm coming in his name. I'm not coming because I sent myself. Hallelujah. He that receives you receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. So he's saying that it goes back to the, the one who delegated it originally. God sent Jesus, and Jesus sent us. So if they receive us, they're receiving the one who sent us, which is Jesus, and the one who sent him, which is God. Because we're all here because this is God's idea. (laughs) This is his plan, his purpose. He said, he that receives you receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. Now we're talking about how how that person is received. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these ones, little ones, a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So the way that a person is received... For instance, some people will come to Pastor Steele and they'll say, uh, you know, Philip, uh, I wanted to ask you about them. They're going to get what Philip has to offer, which is a lot different than what Pastor would have to offer. If I come and I say, Pastor, I want to know. Now I'm accessing who you are as my pastor and not who you are as Philip. It's not about, let me say this, it is about honor, it is about esteem, it is about establishing a structure in the way I receive so that I can receive what God wants me to receive from that person. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. If I receive him as my pastor, I'm going to get what my pastor has to offer, which is spiritual supply. But if I receive him just as my brother in Christ, I'm going to get what he can offer me as my brother in Christ, what he has a supply there. But if I, do you see, it's the way I'm receiving that's going to determine. And we can all learn how to receive. We talked about learning how to honor God by practicing the tithe. Well, in the same way, we learn how to receive from each other as we learn to honor each other. And we learn to see each other as uh, who God has established in our lives. Amen? Amen? And so he says this receiving is recompensed with a reward. Hallelujah. There's, there's a supply for us in the receiving. There's a supply for us in the receiving. So from the head throughout the body, we need to esteem each other as valuable. Throughout the body, we need to esteem each where all, all parts of the body are valuable. Amen. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the flow of the anointing that is increasing upon our body will continue to gain that momentum 
as we draw with that estimation, as we draw with that respect, as we draw with that love for each other and draw with that hunger for revelation. Did you get something tonight from the Word? Hallelujah.